Welcome to In Between the Pages of Life podcast, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories that are sometimes heard, but yet unseen. Take a seat and listen with your hosts, Nadir Rose and K. Noel. What's up, everybody? This is K Noel and Nadia the Rose. We're coming with another episode today, and today we have a guest on today, Miss April Young. So we're going to talk. We have a topic that we're going to talk about today: domestic violence. So you know, like me and Nadia the Rose told you all, we want to talk about those things that that is really in between the pages, that the things that we know that is there, but we just don't really hear, you know, like different stories about it stuff. So this is what we're gonna do today. So all right, Nadia the Rose, we're gonna put it in your hands. Hey, you guys. So before we take it there and start this interview with the amazing April Young, I do want to put a disclosure out there that we are about to talk about domestic violence. As some of you may or may not know, domestic violence goes hand in hand with child abuse, sexual abuse. So I do want to let you all know this may be a podcast that is inappropriate for children. So if you're listening to this in the car with your kids, you may want to tune back in at another time. This isn't pre-recorded so I don't know how this conversation will go okay so I'm going to give you a little time to change the station or whatever you need to do before we hop back in this is where we play the Jeopardy whole music yeah something like that because we want to give you enough time to get the little ones out so without further ado Miss April Young could you please greet the audience tell us a little bit about yourself everybody. I'm definitely happy to be here on this podcast. My name is April Young. I'm a program coordinator for a women's pregnancy program for a hospital here in Ohio. Um, I have experience working with survivors of domestic violence, both in my program, as well as working as a shelter advocate in Michigan. I also have experience working for um, children's services at a local county here in Ohio prior to taking on my position at the hospital. With that, I have experience seeing how domestic violence not only affects the partners um, involved, but as well as the children. Okay, and so you kind of gave me a rundown of your experience, which is amazing. Thank you. That was going to be my next question. So tell me about you as a person. What do you like to do? Just familiarize us with you. Who is April Young? Well, I'm a mom, first and foremost. Um, I have an amazing little one-year-old who, if you ask him, he'll tell you he's nine. (laughs) So that is first. I'm also um, a faith-filled person. I go to church. I'm on my worship team at church. I also have a million and one side hustles. So I cook, I cater. I'm also a doula, which is a part of my responsibilities at the hospital. I'm definitely big on women's health, advocating for women, advocating for children and my main focus and my drive and my passion is reducing rates of infant mortality. I'm with an African-American community and that's pretty much my go-to right now. That's where a majority of my energy is devoted to. Wow, we're going to have to collaborate that and collaborate on that in the future. That's something I'm very passionate about. I'm actually in nursing school right now and my goal is to work in women's health and I advocate for women's reproductive rights. And yes. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. And I was just telling Noel a few weeks ago when we were starting the podcast about the mortality rate for African-American women who go in to give birth or um, 
immortality rate of the children as well. So I'm glad you brought that up. That is a serious issue that not many people know about. So yeah. we'll do another podcast on that on another day. But this I just, I just want to say real quick, I meant to tell you about that because me and April were talking <laughs> a few weeks ago and she mentioned that. And I told her, I said, my sister-in-law would love that. So most definitely. We will definitely, because that, that can be broken down into about two or three podcasts on its own. I am yes. an advocate for women's rights, women's sexual health, all that great stuff. And it's, it's nice to have another sister in the game doing it. So. Yes, I Shout love it. I, I spent time even um, at our local juvenile justice center and even at some of my jobs where I work with youth and just had conversations with them about sex and their body. And that also plays a role in like understanding the dynamics of domestic violence. When you have these young women who are sexually active and nobody is telling them how their body works then what usually ends up happening is that individuals who want to take advantage of their bodies are the ones who are educating them on how, what their body is used for and that is a dynamic that just it starts a cycle that contributes to domestic violence it contributes to sexual abuse it contributes to a whole host of issues that we're already dealing with within our african-american community very true now just out of my own curiosity when you do this advocating do you advocate for abstinence or what do you tell them Okay, so here's my thing. As a believer, I'm all about abstinence. <laughs> abstinence is important. But I also believe that God gave us common sense. And when you're working with youth, primarily um, teenagers who scientifically, the frontal cortex of their brain is not developed enough to have impulse control. And they can't even avoid texting and driving. Mm -hmm. So it would be wisdom to know that even though I want you to be abstinent, I'm going to give you the information so that way if you do engage in sexual activity, you're able to protect yourself in the best way possible. So yes, I encourage abstinence, but I also encourage using wisdom. I don't want to just give them one side of it. Okay, now you're abstinent, but now what if you mess up? Because you are human and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <laughs> so, you know, myself included. If you do mess up, this is how you protect yourself from some of the physical and psychological consequences that come with, you know, engaging in unprotected sex, getting an STD, th those different things. Oh, girl, I just want to give you a big old hug. I'm going to fly to Ohio. <laughs> that is because you get a lot of people, especially believers, who preach abstinence, which I'm a huge fan of as well. And, you know, I believe in abstinence. But when you're dealing with the youth, you want to do education and safety. And mm -hmm. nobody wants to have that conversation. You know, everybody wants to preach abstinence. Nobody wants to preach condoms and STD testing, and especially to our youth. So good for you. Good for you. And, and, and here's, here's the thing, the data suggests that just abstinence alone, just talking about it doesn't work. It's the same thing as if you tell a little kid, don't touch this piece of candy, don't touch this piece of candy. Eventually, and unless you help them understand the consequences of it and have that conversation of what's going to happen if you eat too much candy, you know, it's the same thing. Exactly. Then, then you end up with a little plump kid with diabetes who then indulged in candy because you told them they couldn't have it. It's the same thing. Unless you have these conversations and explain to them the consequences of sex and how to protect yourself and how to use wisdom. If you decide to indulge, I don't want you to indulge, but let's use wisdom in the event that you have a mistake and that you mess up. That combination of programs as far as that combined education of teaching abstinence as well as teaching wisdom and protecting yourself it has better outcomes scientifically it just ha it has better outcomes for our youth 
Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, love it. Love it, love it. I want to plug in and just repeat something that you just said, because I know for the average believer, they will they will turn their nose up at this mm-hmm. and they will say that that is just wrong. But though we're spiritual beings, we're, we're also living in a real world and in a real reality. And our flesh is craving. And especially as a teenager, you know, it's, it's really craving because you're trying to find yourself and, you, you know, all kind of stuff. So, yeah, we, we preach abstinence, but in the reality, we also need to use that that wisdom that April is talking about. And I think I think part of it is I think as Christians, we're scared that we're piquing their curiosity. They're already mm. hearing. They're already hearing stuff in school. They're already hearing stuff from friends. They're already curious because that it's, it's surrounded by them. It's. We live in an environment where everything is sexualized. You know, TV, video games, music, everything is sexualized. So for us to assume that we're piquing their curiosity, their interest has been piqued way before we even have that conversation with them. Our job is to equip them and give them wisdom and to help them make the right decision. And the only way you can make the right decision is if you have all of the information. And that is nice because I know as a teenager, we had, I'm gonna tell this story. If my brother or my wife is listening, they will laugh about this. I have a family reunion VHS tape that is hidden that no one can find that has me singing sit, silk, lick you up and down. <laughs> and, and, oh Lord. <laughs> and I, was, now, I wasn't even, a, I don't even think I was a teenager yet. And my grandmother, granddaddy, mama, and daddy was there. <laughs> so I'm just saying, imagine if it was like that for us then, imagine what it's like for them now. Right. Exactly. And just because, just based on what she said about not wanting to peak interest, I also have a little story. And this is the real deal story about how I found out what sex was. So beforehand, and I'll never forget, I was in eighth grade. My mom had told me some version of if a guy rubbed on your stomach that you would become pregnant. Like that's how you have pregnancy. That is some some story of that nature. And I will never forget we had a new student and she walked in the classroom and she was about seven months pregnant and we were in the eighth grade. And she told us how she got pregnant. And I just remember coming home to our two bedroom, one and a half bathroom apartment, just like busting through the door like I was the police. And was like, mom, you lied to me. We had a girl there and she told me what said was. And she told me how you have a baby. And that is not true what you said. And then obviously she had to um, clarify some things that this girl had told us. But yeah, they're, they're learning about it at a super young age and I might have been 13 at the time so I can only imagine what age they're learning it at now. Right. And, and in my experience working with children's services they're very, learning it very young and I think the thing is you want to build that trust and you want your children to be able to have that dialogue with you so if you're not honest with them they're not going to trust that you're going to give them the information that they need in the future to make the right decisions because let's just be honest when as a children's service employee, I had to have conversations with parents stating that, hey, your eight-year-old is engaging in sex. That's a difficult conversation to have, but it's even more difficult, and I'm, and this, hopefully I'm not getting sidetracked, but it's even more difficult when you have to go through, when there's sexual abuse cases, we take children to what's called forensic interview. It's very difficult to have a forensic interview with a five or six-year-old who does not know, or even a seven or eight-year-old who does not know what the proper parts of their body are. 
So when you are trying to interview and find out the details of what happened to them and they're using words like my baby, that doesn't help us and that doesn't help the judge and doesn't help the police. So I'm very much an advocate of allowing kids to understand how your body works, what is going on with your body, the proper terms for your body, and not allowing them to be ashamed of using those terms. Because let it be known, if somebody touched my son, I want my child to be able to describe in detail what happened and what part of their body was touched. So that way, not only mama, <laughs> but police can come after you. And we have all the evidence that we need. And it's not a guess, well, did he mean this or did he mean that? Or was exactly. he talking about this part of his body or was he talking about this? Or is that just slang or, or are we misunderstanding? No, our children need to be educated on their bodies and they need to be aware of how they work and they don't need to be ashamed to use these words because they are the proper medical terms and it's important for them to know their bodies and to be able to trust and have a dialogue with their parents about their bodies and what is going on. Exactly, and without going into too much detail, because years ago we actually had a case like that where um, it was unable to be prosecuted or they were even unable to press charges because the little girl had been taught pocketbook instead of vagina. And although she had pointed instead what he had done, it was still pocketbook. And it's like you said, it's hard to go after that in a court of law. I'm not sure, you're probably not aware, but I actually have a three-year-old daughter and a three-month-old son. And she says vagina, she'll, she'll say it in a minute. She's no shame in her game. Come wipe my vagina. Like, you know, whatever her thing, she doesn't say it properly. It's like some form of vagina. But we working with denunciation on that. But that is why we don't have pet names because you need to know your body parts and you need to be able to say what these things are. God forbid that ever had happened. But if it did, you know, she understands what it is, who's supposed to be down there, what they're supposed to be doing down there. It's important to have those conversations. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, what's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is yours truly, the relentless motivator, K. Noel. Hey, if you haven't heard yet, I need you to run over to the Pursuit of Passion podcast with K. Noel and join me for a new episode every Thursday. I'm looking forward to you joining in with me as we're encouraging you for your journey. Hey, listen, we are all in this together and we can do this because we're all in pursuit of our passion. Again, my name is K. Noel and I am the Relentless Motivator. So like I said, I'm looking forward to you joining me on the podcast in pursuit of passion with K. Noel. And we're going to have some, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have some laughs. We're going to have some aha moments. So, hey, jump on over after you finish listening to In Between the Pages of Life. All right. Okay, so you told us that you work at a hospital. So when you're at the hospital, do you discuss abstinence or contraceptives? So I work for a religious hospital. It's technically, we, we call it full-time ministry. Um, it is a hospital, but it's also um, run under, it's a faith-based hospital. So when it comes to birth control, we do not initiate the conversation of birth control. But once that once the questions are asked, we are able to provide information. So going back to talking about understanding how our bodies work, recently in one of our group sessions, we were discussing, one of the mothers had brought up birth control and we started talking about, she was asking about the marina. This is where education comes in because 
when I explained where the Mirena was placed on her body, inside of her body, and how it sat between in the uterus and talked about the position, this mother who had kids did not understand her body. She thought when we said that it went in her vagina, that it, excuse my language, it sat at the gate. <laughs> That's where she thought it was. She thought it was sitting at the base of her vagina. And I think that when you have women who are sexually active and they don't know what, what their body is, like they don't know how it works, they don't know the parts, they think that, you know, if I'm telling you, okay, so the morena is placed in the vagina, they're thinking that it's placed outside the outer labia, which are the lips. That's not what we're talking about. So this led to a whole discussion where I had to bring out diagrams and I had to bring out an actual uterus and I had to get an actual Marina and show her the placement of it and show her how her body worked. Because this woman was, you know, two kids in expecting another one using her body and had no idea the dynamics of it or how any of it worked. So that's one of the things that I'm very adamant about, just like helping women to understand how their bodies work, you know, helping them to understand, okay, these are the parts of your body. This is how your cycle works because there's a lot of mystery about it. And part of it is we're shamed. We're shamed to talk about our bodies. We're shamed to talk about how things work. We're shamed to talk about sex. We're shamed to talk about all the different functions. We're even shamed to breastfeed. So a lot of times women will go and they'll sit up in the clinic and they'll get services, but they'll never understand how these services work, the consequences of the services that they're getting or how it's going to affect them in the long run. They're just going based off of what somebody is telling them. So the doula in me is an advocate. It's let me inform, let me tell you, you know, what this does. Let me tell you how long this birth control lasts. Let me explain to you where it's going in your body and some of the side effects and just once again, just that basic sex education and, and working with kids. You know, when I've done my group sessions with kids, you will be surprised about the information that they get. You know, the worst thing in the world is to have a child educated on sex by the person who is engaging in sex with them. So I've had kids tell me or young ladies tell me, well, he told me if I have, if we had sex and he had his boots on or he kept his shoes on, I couldn't get pregnant. Honey, that's not how this works. <laughs> You're not going to get pregnant. That has nothing to do with sperm at all. Like, that that's not how this works. So once again, yes, I want you to be abstinent. But at the same time, you're already engaging in behavior that you have no idea how any of this works. And now you're putting yourself at risk. And the information, from, the information that you're gathering is from a person who plans to take advantage of your body. And that's not okay. That's not okay at all. Let me ask this. Are there even classes for the boys? And, and if so, how are they how are they educated? So when it comes to sex education, um, it depends on the state that you live in. It depends on the school district that you live in. And there are different routes of sex education. So at our hospital, fathers are more than welcome to come into our classes we're able to talk to them and educate them on what is going on with the mother's body. We want them, to, it's a part of our model for them to be active participants to know what's going on, especially when it comes to sex postpartum because you're supposed to have a six week window. And what happens is a lot of people don't adhere to the six week window and they come back in for their six week post-op appointment and they're pregnant and they don't understand the consequences that this has on your body. When your body's not fully healed, 
from already holding and carrying another human being and releasing them into the world and now you put another human being in there you can cause prolapse uterus so your uterus can have all types of issues you mess up your pelvic wall which means that as you get older ladies you're not going to have the strength that you need to engage in sexual activity let alone hold your urine in so these are all consequences of engaging in sex too quickly after birth and then once again getting pregnant. So we do talk to the men, but as far as general sex education, that's usually left up to the schools and the school district. And then some, depending on the state, it's left up to the parents. Now, if you have a parent who's not comfortable enga engaging in this conversation with their kid, then you have a young man who goes to then porn or goes to his friend to get educated on what sex is. And that's when we have issues. That's when we have a man who thinks that, you know, you have a young man who develops and thinks that all sex is supposed to take place in the fashion that they've seen take place in porn or how their friends are telling them that it's supposed to take place. And that's not a healthy education. That's the opposite of healthy. And it even comes like I've explained to some of the girls in, in classes and even with my mom, you know, they talk about, oh, well, you know, I want to shave down there or I want to do this. I want to do that. And it's like, well, do you even know the history of where that comes from? You know, I've actually had to explain to them that, you know, the idea of shaving down there, you need that hair to protect you as a barrier from different STDs that you can come into contact with skin to skin. Not just that, you know, it's that the idea of shaving down there comes from child pornography. So here it is, we are perpetuating ideas and bringing them into our sex lives and bringing them into our marriages or our relationships that have a root in child pornography. So it's like we're doing things, but we don't know we don't know the reason behind it. So when you start telling moms this, and it's like, okay, so they do this in, in child pornography, so it become a part of regular pornography, and then you have a man who is educated and get got his sex education from pornography now perpetuating to you what he wants you to do with your body, and that's not that's not healthy. So I'm um, I'm all about sex education in the appropriate way, allowing people to understand the correct terms, to understand the importance of knowing how your body works, because if you don't, anybody can tell you anything. And then you have damage that takes place in marriages and relationships because somebody's idea of sex is what they learned from a friend or what they've learned from pornography or what they've learned from TV. And it's not accurate. It's not real life. And that's when you ha you start to develop, to develop issues. Wow. I, I, for one, I'm, I'm just blown away from some of the stuff you're saying because I am being educated on stuff that I didn't even know. Me as well. Like, I had no clue about the um, origins of shaving or waxing down there because that is becoming very, very popular. When I moved to this city, we only had one place, and now I think we have about four or five of them, and I've only been here a couple of years, so that means one to two is popping up every single year. And, you know, it's hard to find a female who doesn't groom down there. And I just had no clue that was the origin of it. And then when you think about it, just health-wise, like the act of waxing, you're opening up your pores. So now you're having skin-to-skin -skin contact. And a lot of people misconstrue. They think that HPV is sexually transmitted as far as through bodily fluids, but most HPV is contracted through skin-to-skin -skin contact. So if you're shaving, now you are, you're waxing, you've now opened up your pores down there, and now you're engaging in sexual activity with someone who 
may have HPV on their skin and now you're putting yourself at risk. And I just want to put a public service announcement out there. I know I'm probably going to get a lot of booze and stuff, <laughs> but these are also problems that you may not have to deal with if you were absent or in a monogamous relationship. And, e- and even then, monogamy does not mean a thing. I always encourage people, monogamy or not, you need to get tested once a year. If hmm. you, you need to. Not just that, because there are some things that stay dormant in our system that we don't realize. But because you're monogamy does not mean that the person that you're with is not monogamous. It, it's also That's equally true. monogamous. And I hate to say it, and it's a shame that we live in that, but people do cheat in marriages. People mm-hmm. are, people do have slip-ups. People do have accidents. And it would be a shame to go two, three years in a monogamous relationship where one person is one-sided and you have something that has been dormant in your system or, or what, what have you. But I always encourage people, get tested regularly. Whether you're in a monogamous relationship or not, get tested regularly. Now, I have two questions, so we're going to go with the first one first. <laughs> now, clarify, I need you to clarify dormant because, you know, they're going to listen to this podcast and they're going to be like, hey, baby, I told you. Like, no, you know, chlamydia is not staying dormant for seven no. years. If you've no, been chlamydia is not years, staying dormant for clarify. seven years. That, 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 that does not work. That's right. But, but things such as herpes and HPV, they can go long periods of time without showing symptoms. How long? So it, it depends from person to person. Mm. And that's another thing. It depends on your immune system. It depends on one, whether you're changing up sexual partners often. Like once again, you should be abstinent, but there are people who are not. And just because you, once again, may be in a monogamous, monogamous relationship does not mean that your partner is. So it, this is, I think, one of the beauties of having sex within the confines of marriage. You know, when you're able to do that, when you're doing it the way that, and, you know, I, I believe this is a Christian podcast, so <laughs> when you're doing it the way that God designed for it to be, then there are certain things that you should not have to worry about. But when it comes to dormancy, like there are different STDs that, you know, when it comes to herpes and HPV that may stay in your system for longer periods of time without showing symptoms. There are also those men who may not show symptoms for an STD. So mm-hmm. you may go and you may be asymptomatic for chlamydia or gonorrhea. It just depends on that person. So if you're asymptomatic, you should be, t- this is once again, you should be tested regularly. So just because he doesn't, you may, may contract it, but just because you contract it, it doesn't mean that he, he's supposed to have symptoms. So once again, you need to be tested regularly. That's and once true. again, chlamydia is not going to stay dormant. It, it doesn't work that way. It does, gonorrhea does not stay dormant. You may be asymptomatic, but it is not going to stay dormant. HPV, um, herpes, that's a different story. And now that was actually going to be my second thing about getting tested when you are in what you think to be a monogamous relationship. Because I will say me and my husband, we will, we're on four years next week. And I don't think I've ever... I've never, since we've gotten married, I've never went to go get tested. But in those four years, I've been pregnant twice. And you know, you have a one-year-old, you are constantly yeah. tested you exactly. know, throughout pregnancy and in delivery. So I have been tested like over 12 times, but I've mm-hmm. never purposely went out to get that done because I consider myself to be in 
a monogamous relationship. So that is a great thing that you put out there. Monogamy can be one-sided. Not in this household. Let me clarify that right there. But <laughs> it's something to consider, people. Yeah, it is something to consider. And I think, you know, at the same time, you and this is not to encourage anybody to have trust issues, but you know your partner. You know your partner. Mm. So, or at least you, most of us know our partners. You so know your partner. partner. Yeah, you know your partner. And you know if you get that gut instinct that something's not right. If that's, if that's something that's happening, then, then maybe you should go get tested. If you know that they're acting out of character or something, go get tested. But as a woman, you go and you get regular pap smears, you get regular checkups. So if anything is off, they're going to let you know. If it's abnormal, they're going to let you know. When you go mm-hmm. get your regular checkup, they will let you know. Once again, if you're pregnant, they're testing you all the time. Yeah. So, of course, in those circumstances, that's not the case. But if you know that, hey, something's not right, you know your your partner may have a history of being unfaithful or something doesn't feel right, go get checked. It's better to be safe than sorry. And if you're if you're not married and you're you consider yourself to be in a monogamous relationship, then my rule of thumb is you need to get checked regularly, at least once a year. Now, Noelle, you are our man here because me and Miss April, who says she has a one-year-old, I have a three-month-old. So we have recently given birth, you know, within the last two years. So we've been checked. So as a man, how often do you go get checked? Do well, you go get checked? You are in a monogamous relationship. Both sides, it should be. Right. Well, I can actually say that I I gotten, I had gotten checked last year. Mm. So, and, and I would say for the males, and let's be real about, you know, how I'm not going to say most men, but how some men are nowadays. The single men and, and sadly the married men too. Uh, as a male, you should be getting tested often and with what we're hearing today this is reasons why you should be getting tested because if you're dealing with multiple women and you're asymptomatic you could be giving somebody something and not even know it so it, it, I would say for my brothers out there, man, it's very important that you all are getting tested. So that's just a word of advice from me. Now, without getting too personal, you are in a monogamous relationship. You have been for years. So what made you decide to get tested? Really, the doctor just asked me if I wanted to get tested. And I just said, well, why not? So. Okay, okay. So you were in a similar situation with me and Miss April. You didn't go out to get tested. You went to the doctor and it was a part of a checkup. Right. Okay, okay. Makes sense. So, yeah, I think um, you've given me a lot to think about myself because I've never. But then again, like you said, I know my partner. And if you were to tell me my partner did something of that sort, I no one knows my husband as well. It's just hard to see him doing that. It's hard to believe. Yeah. But, you know, you know your partner. You have to make that decision based on the marriage or the relationship that you're in. I think just in general, it's a matter of personal responsibility. Like if I am engaging, if I decide that I want to engage in sexual activity, regardless of married or not, I need to be responsible enough to know my body and to make sure that I'm healthy to engage in these activities as well as to protect myself. And it always makes me laugh when I hear women say, when when I'm like, well, how did you get pregnant? Well, he didn't have protection. Well, what about you? (laughs) Like, why is it his responsibility to protect you? Because at the end of the day, let's just be real. And this this is going to go into a non-PG moment. So once again, kids, if you're in the room, you need to leave. But 
when we were out in the world and you were engaged in the sexual activity, a man would tell you 10,000 things to get you to engage. Oh, let me just tip in. Well, we all know that that doesn't happen. (laughs) That's not how this works. That's not how this works. So why would you trust for him to protect you? Yes, men, you should have some type of protection, but women, you should also protect yourself. Like, if you don't want to be pregnant, you should either not have sex, if you're not in a monogamous relationship, or you should get some type of protection. And you should protect yourself against STDs. And remember that birth control is not an STD protection. Those are not the same thing. Condoms do protect against pregnancy and STDs. But once again, there are some things that even if you wear a condom, you're still at risk if it's skin-to-skin contact. A condom is not going to protect you against HPV. A condom can can fail. Every type of birth control, there is no 100% effective form of birth control. So with that in mind, if you don't want to get pregnant, then you shouldn't engage. If you don't want to get pregnant or you don't want to get an STD and you are not married, then you don't need to engage. There are even issues, and we just had a discussion about this in the clinic. For African-American men, if you get a vasectomy, you need to follow up with your care because African-American men, the scar tissue can heal and you can impregnate a woman within the first five years or if you do not follow up. So, that is not, for some reason, that rule does not apply to other men, but for African-American men, if you get a vasectomy, you need to follow up regularly with your doctor, with your urologist, because that connective tissue can heal and you will get a woman pregnant. And so if he tells you that he just got snipped, you still need to get make sure that you that he he cannot his soldiers cannot march. And after a vasectomy, ladies, I know you wanna reward him for going to get the vasectomy. After I think it's a week, five days to a week, you can still get pregnant after a vasectomy. So you need to let that thing heal. Give it a week or two if you all do not want to be pregnant. Men, if you tell your wife, female, partner, you are getting a vasectomy, get the vasectomy. Or if you have gotten the vasectomy, get the vasectomy. I actually know now two couples who have became pregnant after the male said he has gotten a vasectomy and he did not get a vasectomy. So make sure y'all follow through. If you're gonna say or claim you've had a vasectomy, make sure you actually have one because if she gets pregnant, I'm just here's, here's the thing. I don't know how it is in other states, but here in the state of Ohio, if you are married, your husband cannot go get a vasectomy without you. Oh, wow. Oh, honey. So if he's telling you he went and got a vasectomy here in Ohio and you weren't there and you didn't sign that letter of permission granting, giving your husband permission to get his snipped, he ain't get snipped. Oh, honey. He needs permission because you are considered one under Ohio State law. That okay, is, that is oh, how it is. And there are a whole bunch of laws here, and every state is different, but even here in Ohio, another rule that a lot of people don't realize, if you are still legally married and you have sex and get pregnant by another man, your husband is legally the father of that child. Mm-hmm. Legally. Now, that is a law we have in Georgia. Okay. So we, I've had to explain to moms and I've had to explain to dads when I work in children's services. They're like, well, this kid ain't mine. I ain't touched that woman in 20 years. Well, you never got a divorce. So according to the state of Ohio and apparently the state of Georgia, that is still your child and they're still going to come after you for child support. They sure so, are. I mean, we got to just use wisdom. And just 
a side note, I mean, and myself and a, a friend of mine who just recently got married, we were talking about this. Within the church, there's this stigma about sex. We feel like it is a, a bad thing. And we feel like it's not something that we can talk about. We feel like it's an area that is just like, oh, we don't, we don't want to go there. We too hope. But I don't know if y'all ever read the book of Song of Solomon, but that whole book is about intimacy. And if we don't take the time to care for our spouses, to make sure that their needs are met, it is going to allow our relationships to suffer. I can't be so caught up in prayer that I don't take time to devote and make sure that my husband's needs are met. I can't be so caught up in doing things for church that I don't, that a husband doesn't take time to make sure that his wife's needs are met. Because we're supposed to be modeling ourselves after the body of Christ. And if we're, and if, if we're the bride of Christ and God makes sure that our needs are met and he spends quality time and intimacy with us, then we need to be ensuring that we're doing the same thing for our spouses. And we need to stop acting holier than now, like, it's wrong for us to go on a date. It's wrong for us to be intimate and have a good time with our spouse. That's that's not Bible. That's not biblical. We need to be able to engage and spend that quality time with our partner and be able to build each other up. And I've also often had to tell, you know, my my married couples in, at the clinic, listen, if you don't take care of you, if you don't build each other up, your children are going to see that. They're going to see that division. They need to see what a healthy relationship is. They need to see what a healthy marriage looks like. They need to see how they, how you guys build each other up, how you guys spend time together. It's not a bad thing. One of my friends, um, her name is Christina Garrett. She has a ministry um, called Momathon, just talking about you know marriage and life and being a mom. And one of the things that she has on there is her motto, and she has a T-shirt that says "Bump the Kids." It's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's not a bad thing to say. You know what? I love you. I love my child. But we need to take care of us. We need to make sure that we as a family unit are strong. How can I sit here and say, how can you sit here in a marriage and say that you love Jesus, but your husband or your wife ain't been ministered to physically? How? And not just ministered to, I mean ministered to <laughs> do that thing she like. Girl, honey, you can do a retreat together. Girl. Whatever it takes. But we feel like this is a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Like you should be ministering to your spouse. And when you look at it, like that's giving honor to God. I can't say that I, I love God and your, your, you can't say you love God and your spouse's needs are not being met. Mm. That, that's, not, that's not okay. That's not okay. You should be ministering to, to them the same way that you allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Girl, so if, if, if you are in a marriage and you are not meeting your spouse's need, you out of order. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. You out of order. <laughs> you out of order. You need to make sure that their needs are met. You need to set aside that quality time. The same quality time that you would set aside for worship. And this is why as a single individual, you need to devote your time to understanding how to minister to God how to minister to the Holy Spirit, how to build up yourself. So that way, when I get into a, a relationship, I know how to minister to somebody else. I know how to listen. I know how to be obedient. I know how to, to, to discern what the needs are of my spouse because I learned it first in my relationship with God. Mm. I, I, and I think we're, we have individuals who are scared of being single. They're scared of being by themselves. They're scared of 
that because they don't want to be alone. But you're not alone. You need to allow God to minister to your needs first. So that way, when you get into a marriage, you know how to minister to that individual. And once you're in that marriage, you still have to keep that flame alive. You still have to date that person. You still need to drop it like it's hot. You still need to be able to fry some food. You need to be able to do all that to keep that, that alive. It's the same with our relationship with God. If I don't continue to build my prayer life, if I don't continue to have that intimacy, if I don't continue to set that time aside to read his word and know his voice and know how to respond to him, then my relationship with God is going to suffer. And when I go to lead worship on Sundays, it's going to be apparent to everybody there because I won't have that connection. It's the same thing in my relationship. If you're in a marriage and you're not able to listen to your spouse, understand, respond to their needs, to spend that quality of time, to date them, meaning set that time aside devoted to them, then that relationship is going to suffer. And it's not perfect. It's a, a thing that we constantly work at. It's like there's areas in my life where I'm constantly working at for deliverance, where I'm constantly like, okay, God, I need you to work on this in me. It's the same thing in our relationship. We have to keep bringing those things to God and working on those relationships and working on those areas of intimacy. It is a work in progress of marriage. And I, I've been divorced before. It, it don't work overnight. There are going to be issues. There are going to be things that you have to solve, but you have to be able to not only have your individual relationship, but be able to come together as a unit and say, okay, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for us, we're going to pray together. We're going to build each other up. I'm going to be able to discern, okay, something ain't right. Baby, what's going on? What you need prayer for? Can I pray for you? Or it might not be a spiritual need. It might be a physical need that needs to be addressed. So honey, let's set some time aside. Put the kids to bed early because we need to minister to each other. And I, I think that we we get so heavenly minded, we're, we're not awfully good. All that shouting, all that rolling around, all that, it don't mean nothing if our house is a mess. Mm. It don't mean nothing if our marriage is a mess. God designed us to be partnered up for a reason because we're not meant to do life alone. So if we are not paying attention to the needs of our spouse and if we're putting everything else above them, then we're not following God. God's design for our marriage and for our lives. Minister Young. <laughs> I'm telling I feel you. Him in the, atmosphere. <laughs> the doors of the church is now open for okay. prayer. <laughs> I don't even know who need to go first. Like, I think y'all need to sit with that word. I, I think people forget like God is practical. Like we get so caught up in the spiritual part that we forget that we're meant to be normal, number one, and make disciples. Like, we, we can't be so extra that we, we don't know how to live and function in society. But in that, we're supposed to make disciples. And I was cracking up because I just did a uh, worship leader workshop with Rick Pino, and he was talking about how we're supposed to be good news. People are supposed to see us coming and get excited. They're not supposed to run the, the other way and be like, oh, Lord, here she go. She ain't never got nothing good to say. She always complaining. Mm -hmm. Oh, Lord, here she go. That's not how people should be when they see us. And I think that once again, we're so heavenly minded, we're not also good. We don't know how to minister to ourselves. We don't know how to share love with our kids. We want to rebuke and holler on that. When that's not, he don't do that to us. Mm. So if our Abba doesn't do that to us, if our father don't rebuke and holler at us all day, how we figure that that's, that's how we're supposed to share the love of God. I'm rebuking and hollering at my spouse all day. That ain't, that ain't God. Mm. Minister in love. Minister in love. We forget that. We forget that, okay, I'm not perfect. Have the same measure of patience with your spouse and your kids that he has with you. Because believe me, I know he has some patience with me. And he continues to have patience with me <laughs> because I'm a hot mess. 
But I, I, I think it's about balance. We have to realize, you know, we have to educate ourselves. We can't be so caught up in trying to be religious that we don't have common sense, that we forget that God put us here to love and to have relationship and to have fellowship and to have community. It's, it's, it's a hot mess if you don't. You, you useless. I mean, this is be real. If you so caught up that you can't fellowship, that you can't minister to yourself, that you can't be kind to your kids, that you can't educate your child or how to protect themselves, then I don't I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you're not affected. You're not being affected. Well, well, well. I think I'm just gonna just lay myself at this altar. <laughs> how about you? I'm I'm, I'm telling you because I'm just. I'm speechless, and and, and 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 that's what I love about this episode because we had intentions to start one way, and the way God has led us and moved it to what was needed right now. Because I'm, I'm like I said, I'm all about going with the flow. So it, it's somebody out there that really needs to hear this. Honey, I need to hear it. I'm not gonna sit here and say I didn't need to hear it because I know I needed to hear it. Melissa, well, I remind myself. <laughs> I gotta remind myself sometimes because we get sidetracked, we get distracted. Life happens, but just being able to take that moment and be like, "Okay, God, what is? What are my priorities? What do you want from me? You know, how can I be a better witness to my child? How can I show them love even when I'm frustrated? How can I master singleness so that when you send me somebody, how how are we supposed to prepare ourselves for a spouse? We gotta remind ourselves because we get sidetracked. Life happens and we forget. So even though I'm I'm saying all this stuff, I remind myself daily. <laughs> I remind myself that while we're on the single, could could you give a word to those single people out there to encourage them that's that's holding on, that's yet holding on right now, and they're, <laughs> they're wait they're waiting on God, and you know, and we know it it can be difficult sometimes. Could you just encourage those people right now? <laughs> yes. So as a person who is technically single myself. I would say I've been divorced. I am currently in a relationship. I have, you know, we, we live life and we do things that we're not supposed to do. So I have a one-year child, one-year-old child as a result of me stepping outside of what I was supposed to do. And that's just it's just being me being transparent. But at the end of the day, God is restoring certain things as far as the relationship with my child and his father. And I would say if I could give anything to any information to anybody who's single, I had to, God had to separate us in order for us to, number one, to take my focus back to where I needed to be because I was raised in a church. I knew what it was to trust God and to be obedient. Him, he wasn't raised in the church. So God had to separate us to put us in a place where it's like, okay, what is your focus? You need to wait on me. You need to trust me. You need to allow me to heal and to fix things in you before I can even allow you to come together and become married and to build anything else up. And right now I am, yes, I am yet waiting on the Lord to, I mean, we've talked about marriage. We, we This is what we want to do. We want to get married, but he is also wanting to operate in obedience. And there's still things that God needs to do in both of us before we can do that. So I would say, build yourself up. I don't want him one minute before God has finished working on him. And if that means we got to wait, that means we got to wait. Because I know, I see the progress that God is making so far, even in me and and changing, restoring things that I allowed the enemy to take. And I say I allowed because I, I stepped outside of God's will and I kind of gave it away. I was in a place where I was just like, I don't want nothing to do with church no more. I don't want nothing to do with ministry. And 
Kenoel, you've known me for ooh, ooh, almost 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and you know where I was in ministry and the things that I was doing and how I got sidetracked. So just allowing God to heal and restore those broken places first. You can't effectively be a wife to anybody. And this is coming from somebody who's been divorced, who went through a traumatic marriage and had pain and all those different things associated with it and dealt with self-esteem issues and dealt with trying to figure out who I was after that. I can't effectively minister to somebody as a wife until God restored me. And even though I might be ready, and I know even right now, there's still things that God needs to, to restore in me and that God needs to work on me with. But I can't effectively be everything that I need to be to a man as a wife until God has finished working on me. So if that means I got to wait a little bit longer to get what it is that God has for me, then I just got to wait a little bit longer. And it's uncomfortable. But in that process, there is such a beauty because when God sends you, that person and I've had ooh, maybe six or seven of my friends get married recently and they're all they've all been waiting on God and some of them felt like they waited forever but when God sends you that person that is for you it is a beautiful it is a beautiful thing and it's not to say that everything is going to be perfect it's not going to be all pieces and cream every day because you're still working and you're still two different people who have to learn and particularly among my friends who they were absent the whole time. They were virgins when they got married, and now here it is. They, they've never lived with anybody else, and now they're entering into a marriage. It's like, oh my gosh, thank you guys for sending this spouse, but now I gotta sleep next to somebody who don't know how to share the sheets. <laughs> I gotta sleep next to somebody who snores, or now I gotta share my time, you know, that I would normally devote to this, this, and that with another person, and I have to consider them. It's still challenges that have to be worked out, but it's much easier to work out those challenges when you know how to take it to God, when you know how to discern, when you know how to pray and you know the importance of that relationship and that connectedness with God, making sure that you maintain that connectedness. So when you go into that marriage, it should be an asset. Both of y'all should be able to lean and depend on God because if it's one-sided and I've been in that one-sided place, you just spin in your wheels. You're tired, you're exhausted, because no, you can't make someone change. I can't make somebody want to live right. I can't make somebody want to be saved. I can't make somebody want to be a spouse. And you can't teach them how to. We might want to, we always feel like we can save this person. Oh, I can I can make her a wife. I can make her a husband. You can't do that. Can't nobody but God do it. So it's a matter of patience and just saying, okay, God, what? how are you going to work on me? And I am all for praying for whoever it is that God is sending you before it even happens. You may not know where they are. You may not know what they're doing. You might even know who it is, but you still need to pray for them because just because you might be ready and you may, may know that this is it, doesn't mean that they are. And there might be some things and some kinks that God needs to work out of them before y'all can come together as one. So I would just say, be encouraged. And I know patience is a hard thing, but it's going to be worth it in the end. It is. Very well said. I just want to commend you for your patience. <laughs> and, and, and I'm serious because especially when you know what you know, but you know the timing isn't right yet. Yeah. And you have to sit. That, that's like, I love steaks. So I'm going to use that steak for an example. You smell that steak and it's smelling good, but it's not time for you to eat it yet. So you have to sit there and, and be patient. Listen, listen. And and it, it is a 
if you don't do it, you eat it too soon, you get food poisoning. Mm. You eat it too late, it's too tough, and it ain't even edible. So why not let the master of all, the grand chef, cook you up the perfect meal and serve it to you at the appropriate time? Why not? Yes, it's gonna be it's gonna be uncomfortable. Yes, you gotta wait. And yes, yo, you your mouth might be watering, and you might know, look, Lord, this is what I want. But you gotta wait. You gotta wait because too soon, it's not good. Too late, it ain't worth it. You gotta it, it, it's gotta be perfect timing. I, I just had a metaphor that just dropped in my mind, and this is because since we're talking about the state, this is another reason why it's important to be patient because you're thinking all you're getting is that state. But if you sit here, if you sit and be patient and wait on God, you're going to see not only did you have that steak, but you got that baked potato on the side. You got another side dish right there. And not only that, you got your, your drink and the dessert coming. Because I think we we mis, we misinterpret. You know, we think, OK, well, yes, I'm just going to get that get that individual that I want. I'm just going to get that wife. I'm just going to get that husband. But at the end of the day, when you think about it, you are getting the person you're getting if they're not healed you're getting their trauma you're getting their baggage you're getting their pain but if they're healed you're getting the gifts you're getting the ministries you're getting the the ideas the vision of a whole nother person added to yours so where you're weak they're supposed to add to where they're weak you're supposed to add to it's you guys are supposed to complement each other but if i'm going with a half done vision and he got a half done vision then we just gonna be a half done mess because we we ain't we ain't finished allowing god to shape us the way that we're supposed to be shaped and let's just be real we've all seen relationships or we watch tv and you look at somebody and you're just like well what in the world how in the world did they get with them they ain't got with them and now their whole life is a mess Mm. Because they were patient or because they, they looked at the physical. They looked at, oh, well, he looked good. She looked good. I, they make me laugh. Well, what about after that? What about, and it's funny because me and um me and him were having a conversation. He was um out in West Virginia recently. And he was talking, it was him and a group of guys. And they were all talking to a pastor. And the guy was like, well, you know, pastor, he's like, the pastor was talking about the importance of waiting for the one who God has for you and courting a woman in marriage. And the man was telling the pastor, he's like, well, man, I just want to test drive it. You can't test drive it. You, the how am I know it's going to be good? He said, well, if I'm a test driver, this is what the pastor said. If I'm a test driver, I'm going to take it to the kitchen first. I'm going to do, do something else other than test drive the physical aspect of that person. Because at the end of the day, the pastor's like, at some point in time, all that's going to fail. So you just going to eat microwave food for the rest of your life? You just going to have dry, dry, dry spaghettios? Like, what about the other things that this person has to offer? You want to test drive, drive the physical part, but what about their intellect? What about their spirit? What about what they, what else they bring to the table? Because at some point in time, the physical part may not work anymore. Then what are you left with? And one thing people fail to realize, and even myself, this was just like, this is how I know it was God's grace and mercy. Because people are so quick to be like, I'm in love. He makes me feel this way. She makes me feel this way. And that's all fine and dandy and, you know, go, go, go. Or he got some issues that I can fix that. Or she a little 
crazy, but I kind of like it. Like, you know, people are so quick to do that and then not even consider the biggest decision, which is this is going to be the father of my children. This is going to be the mother of my children. And I think people need to take a step back and not say, how do they make me feel? What kind of daddy he going to be? What is she going to teach my daughter? And I just feel like people, including myself, like, you know, I never, ever considered what kind of father my husband would be. By the grace of God, he's a wonderful husband. Well, he's a wonderful husband. He's a wonderful father. He gets up with the kids in the middle of the night. He does feeding, diaper change. I don't have to beg him to do anything. He's all about the kids. And I think people just jump into that and not even, don't don't think twice about it. I think you also brought up a good point. Like in that first couple months of a relationship and getting to know everybody, people put their best foot forward. They show you what they want you to see. They don't necessarily show you everything. And it's hormones, you feel good. They make you laugh, they make you feel wonderful. But when those hormones wear off and you are left with that person, you know, and this is why you should wait and you should take time to get that, to know that person before you just jump and do whatever. Like after that hormone wears off, do you still like this person? Is this still somebody that you're interested in? Can you still tolerate? And I know as for me, that was not something I did. I actually, me and my husband got married after one year of dating exactly like he asked me to be his girlfriend on November 2nd and then the next year on November 2nd we got married so it was exactly 365 and I ain't gonna lie to y'all the hormones did wear off you know it wasn't like oh he putting butterflies in my stomach no more like you get what I'm saying yeah but one thing I did with my husband once those love hormones wore off, we still had the friendship. We still had the partnership. It was more than, oh, I'm so in love with you. Like, oh, let's just cuddle and watch movies all night. It's like, do you believe in my dreams? Can you help me get back in school? Like, it has to be more than that hormone because it wears off it wears off quick and when the hormones like oh love love hormones were off I found myself out of school and pregnant and then it's like what like do you leave because y'all not in love no more like you know it, it has to be built on something more than I love you and it's sunshine all the time you know because it's not gonna always be that way you have to have something that can you out of those dark spots. Right. Wow. Well, with that being said, and all of that has been said, we're, we're going to bring this episode to an end. And we're going to have Miss April Young back again for other episodes in the future. So I hope you all learned a lot from this episode and, and gained a lot from, from everything that was being said. And I hope you all was blessed because believe you me, I, I got a lot of nuggets that I have that I'm I'm just I'm just speechless today. So with that being said, you, you already know the drill with me. You all have a good evening, a good night, and a good morning, and we are out. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of In Between the Pages of Life. To learn more about our podcast, 
podcast and view past episodes, visit relentlessmotivationalgroup.com. You can also join us at anchor.fm slash pages of life. And don't forget to like us on Facebook at Relentless Motivational Group LLC. If you like what you've heard and want to help us improve, you can donate via the website or Anchor page. 